I'm getting excited. Promise. All right. Guys, I am so excited, so excited to start this new year off with you. I don't know where you are when it comes to New Year stuff. I know we kind of have a spectrum when it comes to the new year. Some of you are like New Year, like they see the new year and it's like it's time for discipline. I planned it out and I, I'm just ready to just, I've got my life, I'm going to work out, I'm going to fast, and, you know, whatever. Some of you are like that, awesome. We need you guys in life. Okay, God bless you. The other of us in life, if we didn't celebrate the fact that it was New Year's Eve, we wouldn't even know it was New Year's, you know? But wherever you are, when it comes to the new year, I just want to say that the chance that we get to come around and hear God's word, we get to hear truth and beauty spoken over us again, is something that's really special. And I just want to say, guys, that I'm really excited to get to do this with you for the first time. So if it's okay with you, let me start us off with some prayer. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this ministry. Thank you so much for every single person that walked through this door. I don't know where they are. I don't know what their breaks were. But God, thank you for them here now. God, we believe that you speak to us. We believe that you will speak to us today. And I just ask that through what you have for us, that you would speak to their hearts that you would change us, that you would transform us, and that you would set us free to be the type of people that you call us to be. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be working in us, and I pray that all of this is for your glory and for our joy. We love you, Lord. It's your name I pray. Amen. All right, guys, I am going, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, and so you can go ahead and turn there if you'd like. But while you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of context of, of where we are. Um, 1 Corinthians 9 comes from 1 Corinthians 8, and the argument just rolls right into it. And so I'm just going to tell you a little bit of what Paul was doing in 1 Corinthians 8. It's what, it's what Drew preached on last time. 1 Corinthians 8 was a powerful, powerful text where Paul gives these two types of people, both Christian, and he says there's the strong and there's the weak. There's the ones that lift and the ones that don't. I'm kidding. But the strong are the ones that have embraced the freedom that God has for them in their life. It's a really big idea in this passage. It's what we're going to be talking about today. Freedom. And the strong are those that have embraced the freedom that God has for them. The weak, however, the weak brothers, are the ones that are still bound by unnecessary rules. And Paul says that the strong, here's what he says, the strong have an obligation for the weak to let love, the love of God and the love of the brother, limit their freedom. That freedom isn't just in itself a good thing in Christianity. They have to let love triumph, let love conquer, let love trump their freedom. Like we're playing spades, like we're playing hearts. Like they got, they got love, and every time love's played, their freedom has to be limited. 
love trumps freedom. And he believes this so much so that he says this phrase that's just crazy. He says, you have these, the context is food sacrificed to idols, which doesn't really translate well for us, but the principle is incredible. He's like, if you exercise your freedom in front of your brother, and they are weak, and they, and they believe it's wrong, but you know it's not, you have sinned against the weaker brother. And if you sin against the weaker brother, you have sinned against God. Some crazy stuff in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, you are free. God has made you free. But love trumps freedom. That's 1 Corinthians 8. And we're in 1 Corinthians 9, and the argument just rolls right into it. So let me just pick up right there. 1 Corinthians 9. He, when you think of 1 Corinthians 9 and what we're going to be doing tonight, think of 9 as a picture of what he was doing in 8. Okay? He's already proved it. You're free. And then he's going to paint a picture to illustrate exactly what he's saying. And he says it right here. Am I not free? Well, there you go. He talks about them being free. Am I not free? The picture he's painting, he's going to use himself. And the argument is fascinating. And so let's look at it. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? It's like, if if you guys are free... Man, I'm really free. You guys have, like, rights. Man, I've got all kinds of rights that I could be exercising over you. But I don't. And that's kind of the weird thing that was happening in, in Corinth. He wasn't doing all the things that he could have been doing. He's like, he's like a manager that wasn't acting like full manager status. Maybe he was, like, cool manager, you know? Like, cool apostle. And they didn't really know how to take him. They had, like, Peter and the others, John... They knew what it looked like, but Paul wasn't living up to their standards. In fact, he was like, he keeps on going. He says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife? We've already talked about that. We're not talking about believing wife. We're not talking about singleness anymore. We're moving on. Okay? Singleness is over. He says, don't we have the right? We have these rights. We have these freedoms. Or is it only I and Barnabas that lack the right? This is so interesting. And verse 6 is the main point that he's going to go into. Is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work? You guys hear that? Who lack the right to not work? You see what they're arguing right now. He's like, they're mad at him because he chose to work for a living. Now, I know some of us in the room would be like, dude, not working for a living? That's awesome. You know? Paul, man, why are you doing what you're doing? Corinth, get off the guy's back. But Paul, for some reason, they're mad at him. And the reason being, it's kind of like... Paul had this, this side hustle, okay? You guys know the side hustle? Side hustle game is strong with some of you guys. He has like three jobs. Paul had a side hustle. He made tents. That's what you did back in that day. And 
it's like there's a preacher. So Peter, they, they understood what the apostles are supposed to be. And then Paul came in and he had his, his side hustle. He made tents, okay? And he didn't accept money from them because he's like, I want to try and work for my, my own living. I don't want to try and like be a burden to people. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, Peter did that stuff and you don't? What's going on here? Just so you know what that would look like, that would be kind of like a professor of yours that came in and said, hey, this class is for free. You'd be like, sweet. And then you saw him like working at the local like coffee shop. And you're like, hey, wait a second. Are you sure you're a professor? No, dude, I'm a professor. He's like, well, then you're supposed to be doing professor work. That's kind of what they were getting at with this. That's why they had a little bit of a struggle with Paul doing two different things. And Paul, his main argument, and I'm just going to roll through it, if that's okay with you guys. He's trying to prove to them the 1 Corinthians 8, I am free. I am free. And then he's going to say, well, you're going to see what he's going to say in a little bit. I am free. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? ROTC people. Makes kind of sense. Patriotism gets us far. But, you know, you want something in the bank account. You know? Got to put yourself on the line out there. Who plants a vineyard and ex- doesn't expect something from the... Does not eat the grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink from the milk? I don't really know this, but I'm assuming the ag people, they would just say amen. Okay? <laughs> Four. This one's a fun one. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. You tracking with me? Because he says this after this. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this is written for us. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Paul, I think, uh, I think it says, don't muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain, you know? Is Paul playing fast and loose with the scriptures here? What's going on? For the sake of time, I'm just going to give you two arguments why I believe Paul is saying something that's actually in line with a good interpretation of this text. And yes, I went to Bible college to learn this. Okay? Paid a lot of money. Okay? Reason number one. I wanted to show you this, but I'm just going to tell you this. You can turn to Deuteronomy 25 if you want. This comes from Deuteronomy 25. Why oxen might actually mean human. All right? Stay with me. Deuteronomy 25 is all about human rights. All about human rights. In fact, it goes from courtroom drama to like various societal laws. Like all over the place, societal laws. And right in the middle of that, Paul, sorry, not Paul, God, Moses, says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. It's like out of nowhere. 
And interpreters have saw that. This is reason one. Some of you may like this, may not. Okay. They've seen that and say, well, maybe, maybe you're supposed to take oxen and you're supposed to kind of go like, you know? Like oxen is like symbolic. Oxen is a stand-in, a phrase, an idiom that means humans. And the phrase simply means just as an ox works out the grain, don't like give a person a wage. Pretty simple. Okay? So symbolically. Now whether you like that one or not, the second one stands pretty firmly. Okay? If God cares enough to say in his holy law that oxen deserve the wages that they've earned, how much more is it that human beings made in his image deserve the same? God cares about his creation and God cares about justice. So my ag people out there, they say amen. Amen. God, give the ox a wage. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of felt like ag would like that. Well, hey, if you're ever like in ag business or ag law, you got Deuteronomy 25. Okay? Deuteronomy 25 says, The Lord God Almighty says, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, which may or may not be people, which does, in fact, apply according to Paul, for wages of people. I'm going to keep rolling. Surely he says this for our own benefit. Yes, this is written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing a harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have the right for this support, shouldn't we have it all the more? So I'm just going to recap briefly. Paul is arguing to them, saying, I am free. They're in this weird conflict. They're saying, hey, you shouldn't work for a living. They're like the opposite of like our parents when we were 18. Get out of the house. They're like, no, stay in the house. Okay, Paul's like, okay, no, I want to not work for a living. Sorry, I want to work for a living. I mixed myself up there. And he is saying, I have the right to do so. It's within my freedoms not to. I am free. He's given us four reasons so far. And here's his fifth one. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve in the altar share in what is offered at the altar. He uses an argument from their own life. They've seen temples. They believe the people that work there, they eat from the altar. So they would say, yes. Now, here's the sixth one, and I don't really know why he didn't just skip right to it, okay? He's arguing with Christians, Christians who believe that Jesus Christ has authority over their life. They want to submit to it. He finally gets here, and he says, In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Boom! Luke 10. We got there. He's like, soldiers, farmers, ranchers, oxen. Maybe it hit, maybe it didn't. Temple. Did I miss any? Oh, yeah, others. And then he says, the Lord, Jesus. Amen. I am free. 
He spent all that time showing the people, showing the Corinthian church that he has rights, that he has freedoms. And then, check this out, the next verse. But I have not used any of these rights, nor do I plan on doing so, nor do I write to you with the hope of doing so. Then why did we read all that? Like, what was his intent? Is he pranking us? Is this like reverse psychology? Like, what's Paul doing here? He went through all this pain. We talked about oxen. We talked about ranchers. Why is he telling them that he's free and yet he's not going to do it? I don't know. He keeps on going. For I would rather die than let anyone deprive me of my boast. I would rather die. Strong words, Paul. The next section I'm just going to summarize. He goes on to say that he has this call from God, that he doesn't really get the choice, that he has to preach involuntarily. Like if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If I preach involuntarily, I am simply discharging my duty. In fact, I'm not really sure what that translates into our society. Like, none of us are Paul, okay? None of us have seen the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road and say, hey, you're going to be my guy. Guy in the back, second from the the right, yeah, you're going to be my apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul seems to say, I don't get a choice. I have no reward from what I do. And so all these freedoms that you talk about, I have to do them. And because I have no freedom in this, no real say, then I have no real reward. And the only reward that I get from this, verse 18, just this. What then is my reward? Just this. That in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. On the house. That one's on me. So not to make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Finally made it all the way around. Paul took pains to show the Corinthian church that he has these rights. That he was not just living out something that they, this weird like half barista by day, half preacher by night. But he was trying to do something to actually gain a reward, kind of like he had this calling, like the prophets of old. He was given this, like a calling by God. And his reward was to make it as free as possible. And his freedom was to reject his freedom. His reward came when he took what he could have done and he let it be rejected. That is trying to get across the Corinthian church. They have this freedom and they have to put it aside for the sake of what he's saying in chapter 8. Just like love, the love of God trumps freedom, he's letting the love of God trump freedom in his life so that the gospel might be unhindered. Let's finish this out. Verse 19. 
Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having a law, I became like one not having a law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Here's our key verse. I have become all things to all people so that I might save some. I have become all things to all people so that I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul believes that he has to make himself, has to use his freedoms to completely unhinder the gospel. He has to take what barriers are in life, barriers that we see even today. We have all kinds of barriers in life. And he says, I have to be the bridge. To the Jews, Paul was a Jew, he was an ethnic Jew. But to the religiously Jewish, he says, I go back into my own hometown, to my own roots, and I meet them where they are so that I can make the gospel accessible to them. To those not having a law, to the Gentiles, he's like, I don't give up my own moral standards. I don't become something I'm not. Yet, I don't sit in judgment on them. I come to them, and I make what I believe to be true as easy as possible to them. To those, to the weak, he even throws in Christians in there. He says, to those that have weak consciousness, I become weak. I take my freedom, and I let the love of God trumpet. I let the love of God conquer it. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel so that I might share in its blessings. All things to all people. Paul's motive is that the gospel would be completely unhindered in his life, able to work freely in his life and in others. And God is saying tonight that in Christ, you are free. In Christ, you are free. The question is, how will you use your freedom? We'll talk about that after a little break. So take a short break. Awesome. Happy birthday, Hope. All those that are listening to the podcast, I hope you wish Hope a happy birthday. Okay. In Christ, you are free. In Christ, you are free. 
God wants you to know that. He seems to make a really big deal about that. I mean, I can say that from the past two chapters. He's made a big deal about that. That you have embraced the freedom that you have in Christ. And I feel like I can say that from the entire New Testament. That you know that you are free in Christ. Freed from anxiety. Freed from depression. Freed from spiritual bondage. Freed from sin. Freed to be redeemed. That there is a redemption waiting for us fully at the end of our days, partially now as the Holy Spirit is working in us. You are freed specifically from rules and regulations that might not be, that might just be cultural. And this is not just something that God wants us to know in the new year that, that, that God's grace and freedom is working in us. Something that you can hear, alright, it's a new year, it's a time to, to get right with God. But God, the Bible speaks of that God's mercies are new every single morning. It's like the sunrise working in us, giving us a new day. You are free. The question for today and I guess for the semester, is how will you use your freedom? If you are free, which I believe you are, and love must conquer freedom, then what will your freedom be used for? Will it be used for career? Will it be used for family? Will it be used for relationships? Will it be used for success? Will it be used for pleasure? You have all these things in life that are, that are telling you, that the college life is telling you, this is the end in itself. These are your rights. These are your freedoms. They're good things. They are your freedoms. What are you going to do with those, though? Will the love of God be the end that you seek? Will the love of God conquer your freedom? Just like Paul did. Just like Paul is arguing for and showing you that it has in his life. The love of and the love for God captured his heart. And he looked crazy. He looked insane. Can I read you that verse? That verse 19? Though I am free, and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. A doulos, a household servant, someone who does not have a full citizenship rights. I'm free. I have it. I have it all. Though I am free, I make myself a slave to win as many as possible, becoming all things to all people to save some. Paul looked crazy. And the Corinthian church did not understand it. Maybe it was because they 
held freedom over love. They held their personal freedoms over the love of God and the love of each other. And that might be why they had such divisions and such problems within their church. Paul looked crazy, but I want to ask you, where do you think Paul got this from? This idea of having everything that I could desire. I'm at the top. I have more rights than anyone else. I have it all. Where do you think that Paul got this rejection of the top from? Because Paul has already said that I'm just a shadow. And this sermon isn't about Paul. And we're not supposed to focus on Paul. He said it himself in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus himself says, the greatest among you will become a slave to all. The greatest will be a servant. The Son of Man did not come to seek not, did not come to be served, but to serve. And Philippians 2, one of the greatest passages in the New Testament, says this about Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus, who, as Christians teach, And as the resurrection validifies the historical validity of the the testimony of the scriptures, it says that Jesus was God. He said he had all these rights. He had everything that he could have wanted. If, If Paul has rights, if you have rights and Paul has rights, Jesus had even more rights. And he said, even though he had the rights of being God, he did not count equality with God something to reach out and be grasped. But what did he do? Instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of that next word is doulos. The same word Paul uses in verse 19. He made himself a slave. God made himself a slave for people, so that people could come to know God. That's where Paul got it from. Paul is saying, I become a slave to all, because God became a slave to all. And if God did it for me, then I've got to do it for others. If it was good enough for God to do, to humble himself, to cross barriers, to seek and save the lost, to take a message that that no one wanted to hear. If it was good enough for God Almighty to do, although he didn't even have to do, although he had everything he could have wanted to do, then it's good enough for Paul. The question, is it good enough for you? If God became a slave for others, if Jesus Christ became a slave to others, what will you do this semester? If Jesus let his love for humanity conquer his freedom, then what will you, what will yours look like? I'll tell you what mine looks like. My 
this idea of crossing barriers, this idea of trying to take ourselves and, and lower and bridge the gap between peoples, it can look serious and it can look silly. I mean, to the nerds, I've become a nerd. Wasn't that hard. <laughs> you guys see Spider-Man? Hey. I, too, am something of a scientist. <laughs> to my fraternity brothers, I'm actually not in a fraternity, but I, uh, I go with old Derek Hodson to the Colvin, and I, uh, I let him beat me at racquetball, you know? Trying to bridge the gap. You know, you, you got to let him get some. To the, uh, to the hipsters, you sit around and we talk about how lame everything is. You know, like coffee and still water. Ugh. Am I right? Just kidding. Just kidding. You know. But ugh, am I right? OKC is way better than Tulsa. Ugh, am I right? Hipsters. Bridging the gap. <laughs> to the engineers. I stay away from you! <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Do all of this. I do all of this. Breaking barriers, lowering, trying to build relationships with the hope that it furthers the knowledge and experience of God in your lives. And the same for me. And that is what Paul is trying to get across. That he becomes all things to all people. That they might know God. All things to all people. So what, who, will the love of God be sending you towards this semester? Because God is moving towards people. God moves towards people. God's always moving towards people. That's what he does. He's done that since the very beginning. The story of Scripture is that God made man to be in unity with him, to be in relationship as unconditional as it possibly could be. And then man turned away and ran away. And the rest of the story is a story of God chasing humanity, trying to bridge the gap, trying to find a way that God and man could be one again. And it came true with Jesus Christ and his gospel. That is true religion. Not man seeking God, but God seeking after man. And I don't know where any of you guys are in this room, but maybe all you have to do is just turn around and be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ because God is seeking you. Will you be seeking after others this semester just like God is seeking after you and seeking after them? People don't want to read about the gospel on a page. They don't want to hear it in 1 Corinthians 9. They don't want to hear it in Philippians 2. They want to see it in real life. 
you have the chance to be the first Bible that they read. And you have the chance to be the first gospel they can hear. Will that be you this semester? Will you become all things to all people so that they might know God? Know and experience the love that God has for them. That is our message as Christians. My challenge and call to you. For those that are running and might have been running for a while, it is simply this. God chases us. God is not sitting angry and waiting for us just one day just get our crap together to where he can be with us. That if we just fix ourselves, if we just look pretty enough, then maybe God will be in a relationship with us. Now, God does it himself. My challenge to you is to just let yourself be found through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we call that Repentance, which just simply means turning around and being found. To others, I don't know what your break looked like, but I know that sometimes in life there are areas where we keep the gospel out. We keep Jesus Christ out like we don't, we don't really want him in. Or sometimes there's seasons which we, we put him on the bench And we'll we'll let him come back in the game later. If that's you, can can I just challenge you to let the gospel be everything for you this semester? To fully embrace as if you were embracing it again for the first time because God's not here to shame you. He's here to build that relationship deeper and further than you could know. And finally, to everyone, The message of 1 Corinthians 9 is that we would become all things to all people, that we would lower ourselves, that we would bridge the gap, that we would let the gospel be unhindered in life, in our own life and in others. Would you carry that mission this semester? Jude 1.23 says, to save others by snatching them from the fire. Would you take that with you? How far will you go to share and experience the gospel this year? Let's pray. Lord God, you have made us free and you have given us a call in our life. I pray that everyone here knows that you love them deeply that this love is not intellectual, God, that it speaks to the heart, that it's something that they can wake up in the morning and know that their Father in heaven loves them with a love that is as close to unconditional as we possibly even know. I pray that when they think of you, it is a thoughts that are positive. That's not something that they fear in judgment, God, because they know that, they, that you have perfect love towards them and it casts out fear. God, I pray that there is an interest in the gospel for this semester for us as believers. An interest, maybe for the first time, an interest to take it into all areas of our lives that nothing would be hidden before you. 
and an interest to take it to everyone we meet, that we would be gospel people. We love you, Lord. May our joy be fully in you, just as you rejoice in us. I pray of this in your name. Amen.